Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's turn to John chapter 10. And uh, after service, you could fellowship. There'd be some food there for you. And we just want to love on you. John chapter 10. And I want you to, uh, verse 9. Let's go before the Lord in prayer because I want to talk about a very powerful subject that will bring healing to you. And it will, I want to say this um, how, I, how I feel that I'm going to say it. It's going to uh, heal a lot of misunderstanding of his nature. So, Father, in the, na- in the name of Jesus, we come before you here at our RCC community, and we're asking you to reveal the nature of Jesus. We're asking you to anoint your word. I pray that the f- our family that is here will be able to hear and receive and apply your word because your word will give life in Jesus' name. And everyone said I want you to, today, I want to, the last two weeks, I started the church and RCC by, by starting it on the principle of the person of Jesus, not on a personality. Aren't you glad that a church is not built on a personality? Uh, let me say that again. Aren't you glad that this church is not built on a personality? Because if it was built on personality, then th- the place could be packed out of personality, but it's not going to sustain in the t- time of trouble. It's not going to sustain you when you are going through stuff. My charisma is not going to get you past anything. Amen. It's the, it's the person of the Lord. It's so there's a lot of hype in the church. There's a lot of turnoff. And that's why people don't like to go to church service anymore because we've made it all about us instead of all about him. And so my goal is to tell people about the nature of Jesus because when you know the nature of Jesus is the most attractable reality in the universe. You're attracted to the nature of Jesus. As a matter of fact, Jesus said, if I am lifted up, I'll cause all men to be drawn unto me. I'm I'm telling you right now, once we get a revelation of Jesus, if churches really preach Jesus, people will come from the north, south, east, and west because they can't get enough of this man. Amen? Look at John chapter 10. I'm talking about the nature. The first week I talked about the nature of who he is as a savior of the world. Last week we talked about the nature of his faithfulness. Today I'm going to talk about the nature and attribute of Jesus of his goodness. Amen? His goodness. And um, so what we want to do is look at that. So John, and I'm going to give you a little bit more scriptures than normal today. Is that okay? John chapter uh, 10, look at verse 9. Popular scripture, but I want you to see it from the lens of what I'm trying to talk about. Verse 9, Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I'm going to say that again. The thief does not come but to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and to have more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. Say good shepherd. He identifies himself as a good shepherd because he just previously identified the nature of the devil. Okay? So he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not a shepherd, one who gives, sorry, who, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep, and they scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, and he does not care about the sheep. But I, again, am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and my sheep are known by my own. Can I hear an amen? So the phrase, God is good, 
is more than just a catchy phrase. We see it at church all the time. God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. And we, the, the, the terminology or phrase, God is good, everybody knows, even, even people that don't know the Lord know from a distance God is good. But we haven't really seen the goodness of God in our personal life because it's misconstrued by what we go through, it's diluted by what we go through. It's, so the, the, the term God is good is more than a theological phrase. The term God is good is more than a, a nice song. Oh, you are good. I can't sing, but it's, it's more than a really good worship song. It's rooted in who he is in his identity. It's not a skill set that he has developed to be good. It is his very nature that he can't help but to do. Because whatever someone does is rooted out of who they are. Can I hear an amen? So what you believe about God's goodness impacts every aspect of your life. What you believe about his goodness aspects your prayer life. It, asks, it affects how you approach him. How you perceive God to be, hear me, will drastically affect how you pray, how you walk, how you read, how you talk with others. How you perceive God to be in relation to his goodness and other natures of, of who he is will drastically affect and transform your life. Because sadly, I've seen a lot of people that claim to be Christians, and you have too, that misrepresent God. And therefore, the world looks at a Christian that's misrepresenting God and say, if that's what God is like, I don't want anything to do with God. Come on, let me preach good here. And so the nature of God is threatened, especially his goodness, when we see people in a good heart misrepresent him. Or if we see people that we look up to fall in sin. I can't tell you how many times people have been discouraged and blamed God for somebody for something that people did and their error and their weakness, and God had nothing to do with that. But yet, the question remains. It's like the whatever the reason is, there's always going to be people misrepresenting God, especially misrepresenting His goodness. You have to understand that the truth is, that we need to start seeing him differently so we can represent him adequately. Now that sounds like a weird phrase. We need to see him differently than what our society has portrayed about God. This mean person with a stick. I used to think God had a whip and a, and a belt every time I did something wrong. You know how, you know, in, in my family, you know, in the Spanish culture, they get the, they get the belt out. They're like, I told you not to do that. <laughs> Right? And I'm like, ah. And so we have this image of God like we have an image of our parents or we have our image of our authority figure. And we think every time, we think God is this big, mean person up there just waiting to correct us all the time. Waiting to, to, put, to, to put lightning. But I mean, remember the, the movie uh, Wizard of Oz? Don't come near. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to think like there's just all this like, oh, my God, I can't approach God. What, is he, what if he's mad today? What if he's angry today? He's good all the time. He does not have one cranky day. You have to understand that we have to, the, the discovery of his nature will radically transform the way you see and interact with God. There's going to be some slides on the screen that I want you to follow, some points that I want you to follow. And I'll give you some scriptures because this revolutionized my life. What I'm about to tell you this morning revolutionized my life because we need to, re we need to make sure 
we anchor ourselves in this nature. Why? Because the goodness of God is his motivation for humanity. The goodness of God is what motivates Jesus to to release whatever he wants to release on humanity. Even in his judgments, he's good. What, what judge would not be good if a murderer or a rapist or someone who just killed 20 people, if the judge just says, you know what, I just don't want to be portrayed as a bad person, so I'm just going to let you off the hook. No, he's going to be a good judge when he brings justice. Amen? So his good, even in his judgments and his disciplines, he's good. So the greatest announcement in my the greatest example in my opinion that initiates the goodness of God came over 2,000 years ago over 2,000 years ago when there was an angel of the Lord that came upon a, a couple of shepherds you guys know the Christmas story but he came upon a couple of shepherds who were just tending the flock and you know what the angel of the Lord said to the shepherds he says don't be afraid behold today in the city of David is born a savior Christ our Lord then he says this, he goes, I give you good news. From heaven, he says, what I'm about to tell you is not this mean God that you think is out to get you and out to punish you and out to whip you all the time. I have, new, I have good tidings of joy for all humanity. When the angel of the Lord came in Luke and he said these things, it set the stage for, now, now I want you to see this, for the nature of the Father's goodness to be displayed on the earth. Now, now listen to me. Sadly, people constantly embrace a... I want you to hear this very carefully because it's going to bring confusion to you if you do not hear me carefully. Sadly, people embrace something that the devil... There's a real devil. That the devil, the thief, released on people's life and embrace it as, well, that's just God's process for me. And he's going to turn all things to, for good for those who work to, to, to believe in his purposes. Yeah, and I know. I know that how we respond to tragedy or how we respond to trials eventually will come out good. But we have attributed sometimes bad things happening from God. No, no, no listen. And we, if, when we have this theology, it cripples our ability to discern what's good and what's evil. If we think everything bad happens is from God, then why, where, where is the devil in this whole picture? The Bible made it very clear. The thief comes to kill, to steal, and, steal, and to destroy. We have blamed God for things that the enemy has done. There's things that the enemy has done, and things happen, and God is nowhere. God is not nowhere in the process of, of, of um of initiating that. We think there's about 8.5 billion people on the earth. Do you really think that God has like, like a puppeteer, 8 billion strings? And he's, and he's controlling the car from moving. He's controlling that guy from not smoking. He's controlling this guy to smoke. And that. So if we have this theology that, uh, of his nature, then we think that sometimes he's good because sometimes he's not, he does this and sometimes he doesn't do that. But Jesus made it very clear. I want you to see what I'm about to say. The belief system of God's goodness is not what causes controversy. It's his definition of his goodness. Did you hear what I just said? The, the, the belief in God is good doesn't cause the controversy. Is what is our definition as humans of his goodness? Sadly, we only define his goodness 
oh, I'm going to preach good here now, when he gives us good things. But I want to tell you, before you got that good thing, he was still good. We define the measure of his goodness by the good things he has. So every now and then we get a little breakthrough. Every now and then we get a little car or we get a little financial thing. We're praying and God honors us. And then we say, God is good. But I have news for you. I'm glad that you're acknowledging God is good when he gave you something. But it doesn't stop before he gave you. He was good before when you had nothing. He's still good. That's his nature. His nature is good towards humanity. You have to understand this. So what's in question is not our belief system of God is good. It's our definition of his goodness. What is our definition of his goodness? You know, I, it's, fu- it's funny because I, I, put this, I put this in my, my notes. And I want to give you a definition of the word good in the, in, the, in the New Testament here. When he calls himself a good shepherd, say the good shepherd. I want to give you the definition in the Greek of good, and it's going to blow you away, because it's impossible to streamline God's goodness with one avenue or one attribute. Do you think he's good just because, okay, he blesses you financially. He's good. Or, you know what? He healed me. Oh, he's so good. Oh, he provided a car. He's good. But it's impossible to define his goodness on what he does. If you and I get this revelation Every dark season or every high season, we will continue to be the same towards God. I have news for you. God doesn't change. We do. And in our approach to him, our approach to him weakens when we don't understand the seasons of our lives. We have to embrace the nature of God's goodness because it will absolutely set you free. It set me free. I realized years ago that I used to, without me knowing, I used to blame God for things that happened in my family. Why didn't you stop that? You could have stopped that. Why did you allow me to have a seizure? I had a seizure. I had about five of them. Why didn't you stop that? There is a real devil. The church has, thinks that th- there is no devil. If there is no devil, why would God say, resist the devil and he'll flee? What, th- there are some times we're going to get bruised up. We're going to get scratched up. And the enemy, sometimes, not all the times, is the initiator of these things. Well, you know, it's just God, you know, he works all things for good. Yeah, he does, but he didn't initiate those things. Some of those things he did not initiate. Well, you know, how about if I, if I, if I overdosed in, in, in something? Well, first of all, the doors that you open for demonic activity is the things that you open. God is not going to stop me from uh, uh, smoking crack. Like if I get a crack, I'm not going to be like, God, you better stop me now. You better stop me. Oh, what's happening to my hand? Ah! It's your choice. And your choice will determine an outcome. Stop blaming God for your choices. Stop blaming God for the decisions that you make. Well, see, if God loved me, he would have stopped that. No. Sometimes we don't understand. Well, why did God, God not stop John the Baptist, a very close relative to him, from getting beheaded? Why, why didn't he stop that? Why didn't he stop Paul the apostle from getting lashed? Why didn't he stop that? Because if, and yet, this sounds insane. I used to, for years, say, how can Paul write? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You know when he wrote that? While he was in prison. (laughs) He's all chained up. He's all in jail, chained up. He can hardly ever scratch. I mean, and he's writing, rejoice in the Lord. How can he say that when he's in prison? Because he knew, not like some of us, he knew that his jail situation had nothing to do with God's nature of his goodness. In his jail, he's like, this is all part of the plan. 
I'm going to get martyred for Jesus. People are like, what? This is part of the plan. It's an honor to live for Jesus. The Bible says if you, if you desire to live godly, you will suffer persecution. Because you're going against the mainstream of society. Because society wants you to think, do it this way, and changing the, the laws of God. But when you align yourself with the word and you align yourself with his nature, sometimes all hell is going to break loose to you. And you know what? You're going to get scratched up in the journey. God is still good. God is still good. So look at the definition of good. Ready? Look, look at the definition that I, that, I, that I saw of his goodness in John chapter 10. The Greek word is kalos, and it means, get ready, take a deep breath. Beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent. This is just one word. Choice, surpassing, precious, useful, suitable, commendable, admirable, beautiful to look at. This is all good. Shapely, magnificent, beautiful by reason of purity, morally good, noble, honorable, and praiseworthy. All this is a definition of God's goodness, but us humans limit it to when he gives us something good. Us humans limit his goodness when we have, it's easy to praise God when you got money in your bank account. How about Saul, Saul and, and, and uh, uh, Silas and Paul, right? It's, yeah, Paul and Silas. They're in the jail and they're getting whipped and they have the audacity to sing. Some of us be like, I can't believe God is doing this for me. They're in jail and they're singing, how great is our God. Sing with me. How, I mean, it's, it's powerful to understand the nature of Jesus. So, you know, so watch this. So based on that definition, this is how John 10 could read. Are you ready? When he says, I am the good shepherd, this is what it should read. I am the beautiful, handsome, excellent, eminent, surpassing, precious, suitable, commendable, admirable, beautiful to look at, shapely, magnificent, beautiful by reason of purity, moral, good, noble, and praiseworthy shepherd. Come on. It's impossible to define his goodness by one particular act of kindness. You have to understand it's not complicated. Jesus gave us this phrase about his goodness. As a matter of fact, he said this about his purpose. He said the son of God has been manifested for this, for this one reason, to destroy the works of the devil. But do you understand? Do you, here, here's, here's where this is going to get deep. The reason people get offended at God is because really, I'm going to just be very honest with you, is really attacking his goodness. That's why they're offended, because they say things like this. If God was good, why did he allow my, my father to divorce? If God is good, why did he allow that church to split up? If God is good, do you see the theological misrepresentation there? It's deeply rooted in our thinking that if bad things happen, God is the initiator of it to teach us a lesson. I want to ask you a question. How many parents do we have in here? All right. Do you guys break your kid's arm just to show them that, that you could heal it back together? Let, let, let's say you could, let's say, no, serious. Let's say you have the ability to, let, whether you're a doctor or not, to put bones back together in a certain, in, in a certain way. Would you intentionally break your, per, your son's arm, cause him pain, just to teach him a lesson to show him that you could heal him? No, you wouldn't do that. That would be ridiculous. Why do we expect that from God? But we do by what we say and what we don't say. If, if, you, if you were with me, you would not have allowed this to happen. The same things happened to Martha. Martha's like, Lazarus is dead. If you would have been here, none of this would have happened. And it's funny because if you read the scripture, Jesus found out about two or three days before. He goes, let's wait a little bit. 
What do you mean? Did you, didn't you hear? Mar Lazarus is dead. I know. Let's chill out. Let's have some barbecue for a second. Okay, pass me that cornbread. <laughs> he got there four days later, and the Bible says he was stinky already with decay. And that's when Martha didn't understand his goodness. You understand? You have, to, you have to understand his goodness because when you understand his goodness, you won't be swayed by what doesn't happen immediately. Woo. So he goes, Martha goes, if you, if you would have been here. Jesus is like, I got this. I'm the resurrection and the life. Where did you put him? And all of a sudden when he, when he resurrected Lazarus, oh, he's good. He was good before. Can I hear an Amen. So listen, your measure of revelation of the goodness of God will affect how you relate to him, either positively or negatively. Oh, I'm having church by myself here. <laughs> listen, your measure of revelation of the goodness of God will affect how you relate to him positively or negatively. Why is that important? Because everyone in here, I'm not going to do a survey, has a different revelation of the goodness of God. Some of you have it based on uh, the, the good things you have. Some of you base it on other things. Some of you base it on your testimony. Uh, everyone has a testimony which proves the goodness of God. But we are limited. Now watch this. Uh, how many of you know A.W. Tozer? That's a powerful, powerful man. One of my favorite authors, probably one of the most powerful authors, in, in my opinion, of this whole century. He wrote a book, one of the most popular books, in my opinion, that has impacted Christianity called The Knowledge of the Holy. And you know what he said? He said, quote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me say that again. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because if you think God is a slave taskmaster, you will approach him in that way. If you think he is a, someone who neglected you during times of trouble, then you will only approach him certain ways. If you know that he is good all the time, no matter what happens, it won't change your heart towards God. So, so think about this. The psalmist in Psalm 34, I want us to turn to Psalm 34 real quick. Let's look at Psalm 34 and look at verse 8. I want to share this with you. This is good stuff. Look at what, look at what it says. We, we talk about this. We sing about this. In verse 1 through 7, the psalmist is talking about all the things that he's worthy of praise and he's good and the angel of the Lord encamps those who fear. And, I mean, he's talking about all these things and all the other psalms. In this psalm, he's talking about the goodness, uh, I mean, the, the praiseworthiness of God and his presence. And he gets to, to, to verse 8. Hear me now, church. He gets to verse 8 and he finally explodes with this revelation. He goes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, verse 8, he says, taste and see. But listen, we, we sing songs about this that is almost callous to this revelation. He goes, you won't know God is good until you taste for yourself. You can have a preacher tell you. You can have a pastor tell you. You can have your friend tell you. You can even see others tell you. But until you taste, it's an invitation from the Father to say, I actually want you to know me. Because when you know me, I'm going to display my nature of goodness all over you. And all over your family. And it's, it's more than just some physical things. He does give us things. But our perception of truth will greatly change as we go deep into truth. 
the, our perception of truth will grow deeply when we go into truth. So he is an invitation that the psalmist saying, taste and see that the Lord. He could have said, taste and see that the Lord is powerful. He could have said, taste and see that the Lord is a good teacher. Taste and see that the Lord is a prophet. Taste and see that the Lord heals. All, he does all that. But there's something about the psalmist that experienced God at a certain level. He says, God is good. Do you know that this brings healing to you? I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this brought so much healing to me because I realized, and this sounds very simple, it wasn't God's fault. When we know that he is good, we'll stop blaming God for things that the enemy actually brought or that other people brought upon, upon you. There's a unique quality. Hear me now. There's, I don't fully understand this, but I want you to get this. There is a unique quality of the goodness of God that when it's dispersed on every believer, on every person, has the ability to even turn sinners from their lifestyle to the Lord. I want to say this again. There's a unique ability of God's nature of goodness that has the capacity to turn a dead soul, a dead-hearted person, a hard-hearted person, someone who doesn't want to do anything with God, a, a, sin, a sinful person that doesn't have the, the relationship with Jesus or hasn't been born again. The, the revelation of the goodness of God actually has the capacity to turn them to what? Watch this, because this is a curse word in some, no, I'm not going to curse. There's a curse word in some churches. And you know what the curse word is to many churches in America right now in, in, our, in our trendy attempt not to offend anybody? The word repent. <gasps> see, see? Everybody goes, oh, you said repent at church? Yeah, and God forbid you say hell in church. Oh, don't, don't say hell in church because everyone's going to get offended. We don't say that anymore, Pastor George. We've been progressing. No, no, no. Society progresses, but the Bible never changes. Society could be progressive, but, but it, the, the Bible never changes. You could get mad at me if you want, but I didn't write the Bible. So, so listen to this. The goodness of God actually can transform a hateful uh, a person that doesn't want anything to God would do to God to turn because I'm going to tell you right now what makes people turn is his goodness. Look at Romans. Oh, this is good stuff. Uh, wait, wait, wait. It's not beating people over the head that's going to get people to turn to Jesus. I know there's some pastors who do that, and I apologize for that. It's not, it's not telling people how, how bad and how wrong they are. If you don't repent, you're going to go to hell. Yeah, that's a, that's a true statement. But let me tell you something. Repentance is not a bad word. We've made it a bad word. We've made it something because it's so hurtful the way that people have come across and said it. But the word repentance just simply means to turn around and never do it again. That's what repent means. But we say, if we say repent, oh, he's judging me. He doesn't, he's not, he's not loving. Jesus would never say repent. What Bible are you reading? <laughs> First messages that Jesus spoke was repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He wasn't like, hey, is it okay, guys, if I say this? Because I don't want to, you know, there's, there's people that have money in our ministry. They're going to give us money, but it, I don't want to turn them away. Now, now watch this. Look at Romans. It got quiet in here, but it's good. You're going to love me. <laughs> I know you love me. Romans chapter 2. Look at this. This is powerful. Look at chapter 2, verse 4. Are you ready? Look at what the Bible says about his goodness that has to, that leads people to repentance. Look, look. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Say goodness. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? Are you ready for this? Not knowing that it's the what? I can't hear you. The what? That what? That leads you to 
repentance. It's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Why? Because when you experience his goodness, let me tell you something what happens. When you experience his goodness and you taste and see for yourself, no one has to convince you to leave your old lifestyle. You want to leave it by your own, in your own self. Glory to God. No one ha- when you experience the goodness of God, no one has to say, bro, you don't need to change. He's like, I don't, you don't even have to tell me that. I want to change. It's the, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. It's not like, it's not like the, you're such an awful person. Repent or you're going to burn in hell. Oh, yeah, sign me up. <laughs> and I've seen people, unfortunately, come to the kingdom that way, and their, and their, and their walk with God is very short-lived. Why? Because they got scared into the kingdom, not loved into the kingdom. Woo. Now, I believe in the fear of the Lord. We have to have the fear of the Lord. But if your salvation is based on a fire escape out of hell, and I better do this now before I burn, then you're not going to last. You're not going to last. But when you encounter the goodness of God, it will lead you to repentance. When you encounter, man, he, I, I shouldn't be of a life. I, I, I should have been, he, he, I, I could have been killed by that car accident that almost hit, that, that hit me. And I'm still alive. And he washed me from my sin. He did this for me. He died on a cross for me. Yeah, if you were the only person, he would dry this, this, this gruesome death just for you. I want something about this man. When the psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good, you're realizing that he is saying his goodness leads us to repentance. From now on, I want to encourage you, don't ever Look at repentance as a bad word again. Unfortunately, I do apologize for people that have used the word repentance to make people feel bad. But repentance is a beautiful thing because you're aligning yourself with God. When you say, man, I repent of this, what you're saying is, I realize that this is hurting the heart of God. Do you know that in my family, uh, uh, Jonathan and Jaden, I don't teach them don't watch that because I said so. And because I, what I teach them is if you do that and if you watch that, that's going to hurt the heart of God. Do you want to hurt the heart of Jesus? And many times I see them turning around at something that they shouldn't be watching in a commercial. All the demonic commercials come up when your control is missing, your remote control is missing. I'm like in the kitchen and like, I'm like, <laughs> And, <laughs> and, and I come, and I come to the, to the, to the, this moves my heart, and I come to the, the family room trying to look for it, and they're like this. Like the TV is over there, and, and I'm like, ah. you know why? Because I taught them about the goodness of God. This, the, Christianity is not about avoiding a whole bunch of things. It's about pursuing a man. And when you pursue a man, you avoid those things. It's not the opposite. It's not like, oh, I'm a Christian. I can't have fun. Darn it, I can't do that. I'm a girl, I can't do that. No, I've experienced the goodness of God, and this is really all I need. Come on, say amen. <laughs> say amen. You know, even the way you approach the Lord in prayer can be affected by your revelation of his goodness. Do you, I, I want to say something that many of you probably have not, uh, not heard of. But in the famous chapter scripture in Matthew chapter 7, is this good? Are you getting something? Even how you approach the Lord in prayer, actually, let me rephrase it, your prayer life, your prayer life is drastically affected by your perception of his goodness. No, no, I'm I'm serious. Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus beckons, put that up there, Zach, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, 
When Jesus is adamantly and passionately saying, ask, and it should be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be coming to you. Why? I used to read this and never get this until really just last year. Why is Jesus so confident and so adamant that if you ask, you will receive? If you seek, you will find. And if you knock, the door will be open. Is it just because he said it? But if you read closely, you will get a hint of why Jesus is so confident to tell you and I, ask, seek, knock. Why? Look at this. Oh, this is good stuff. Look at what verse 7 says. Ask, and it will be given to you. Say, seek. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. This is Jesus speaking. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be open. Now, watch this. I want to I talk to some families here. <laughs> For what man is there among you if his son asks for bread... We'll give him a stone. How many fathers do we have in here? How many fathers? Raise all the daddies. All right. When your son or your daughter, is this, is this a good attribute? If your son or your daughter asks, papi, give me some bread, or dad, give me some bread, are you going to say, oh, you want some bread, huh? You want some bread, huh? Oh, you always ask for bread, huh? Yeah. You, you, you like bread, don't you? Here, you know what? Get this rock. I'm going to put butter on it. See how you like that. <laughs> is that good? I mean, who does that? Think about this. If your son says, Dad, I want some bread. You want some bread? Here. Here's a big old boulder. Put some rock. Put some butter on there. I'm tired of you asking for bread. Is that a sign of goodness? Okay, no, let's keep reading. Keep keep reading. Or or, or what person among you, if his son asks for bread, he gives him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will give him a serpent. How many moms do we have in here? Okay, moms, if your daughter or your son says, Mom, I just want some some seafood. You're like, you want some seafood, huh? Here's some black mamba over here. We have that black mamba. <laughs> you are, and sh- yeah, that's right, that's right. You're always asking for fish. You always ask, here's a black mamba, cut that up. <gasps> Would you ever do that? And if you did, we need prayer in the altar right now at the, at the service. <laughs> need deliverance. Somebody like, yeah, I don't have no problem with that. No. <laughs> you moms, you will never give your per- your your kid. You'll never give your kid a, 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 a serpent if they ask for a fish. Now watch what Jesus says. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? I said, are you ready? I'm, o- I'm almost done. Give me about five minutes here. I have to skip some things because of time. Now look at this. I want the worship team to come up here, please. Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, I mean, Jesus, I, Jesus didn't throw any punches. He was gangster sometimes. He says, if you then being evil, <laughs> if you then being evil, look at what he says, know how to give good gifts, oh, I'm going to shout, to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? Jesus said, okay, so we settled the issue here. If your son asked for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If your daughter or your son asked for a fish, you're not going to give him black mamba. You're not going to give him a snake. How much more, if, you are not, if you're not the nature of God and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good things to those who ask? Now, why? See, if you don't know his nature, you won't ask. You won't think. Because, oh, here's a good one. I just got this in my head right now. You know when it's difficult to come to prayer? When you just sinned and you just did something that, that hurt the heart of God. And it's called condemnation. And you're like, oh, I'm not going to pray today. Well, it, well, you know, I, I'll just be a hypocrite if I pray. If I pray why? Because I just did this last night. His goodness is not determined by your sin. 
He doesn't run out of goodness. He is good. You know what Psalms, you know what Psalms 103 says? Psalms 103 says, he does not deal with us according to our iniquities. <laughs> Boy, I can't tell you how many times I went to sleep thanking God for that scripture. Because if you have the wrong theology of God, you go to sleep saying, oh my God, I did something wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Lord, please forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You say it like five million times. And then, I, I'm be honest, I used to wake up, not go to sleep because I used to be scared of what God will do to me because I just said something or did something stupid. But I would, I would read that scripture that says, he does not deal with us according to our iniquities. Oh, hallelujah. He's good. I had an opportunity. Hear me, guys. Five minutes here. I had an opportunity to, God, to doubt God's goodness many times in my life. I've had six seizures since uh, at night. Some of you know my story. And here I am, a man of God. I'm preaching. I'm, I'm leading people to the Lord. And while I've slept, no reason, doctors still don't know what it is, to this day don't know, I had seizures, and, and after a seizure, I would walk, walk around trying to leave the house, and my mom, I mean, my, my wife would try to stop me, and the ambulance would come in the middle of the night, and I would wake up, seeming from a dream, in a hospital bed, like, how did I get here? Now think about that. Here I am, I'm, I'm a servant of God, I'm preaching the gospel, and let me tell you, a couple of times I started getting angry at God, like, why did you allow this to happen? But I didn't have a full revelation of God's goodness. Sometimes it's a chemical imbalance. Sometimes it's the enemy. But it's not God. God is not going to give me a seizure to teach me a lesson. Are you kidding me? Get that out of your brain. If I didn't know that, I wouldn't be happy with God. I'd be like, well, I'm mad because you didn't step in. No, no, no. Church, you have to understand this, this nature. Just two days ago, for the first time in 44 years, I'm 44, I had an opportunity to get mad at God. I had an opportunity to doubt his goodness. My father, who's 71 years old, I have never in 44 years, never seen my father go to the hospital. That, I mean, praise the Lord. Never. Never seen him in the hospital. I'm getting ready for a leaders meeting just two days ago for my leaders, and I get this hysterical phone call from my mom saying, George, call me, it's an emergency. I'm like, oh, when you get that on your, on your voicemail, you better be filled with God. And I just, honestly, I had the peace of God. When I heard that, I said, uh-oh. Took a deep breath. I was at Sam's getting some food for the, our leaders meeting, and the peace of God just came on me. I called my mom and said, your, your, your dad fell and, and hit his head and cracked his head open. And he's unconscious, and he doesn't know what's happening. He's confused. I go, Mom's going to be okay. And inside, all these fireworks are, are happening, right? So I just said, God, you're good. You're good, no matter what happens. He, now, some people say, well, if God's good, why did he allow, why did he allow that? He's not going to have little angels catching us every single time. We, we, we have to get this theology out of our head that when bad things happen, it's not because God is absent, I said, you're still good. I prayed. We prayed. We got together. We prayed. And I believe the power of prayer, the doctor saw him, the neurologist saw him, and said, he, he slipped, he, he fell, he has a small little crack uh, in his head, and, but the bleeding is very minimal and it will leave by itself, and there's no worries. He's perfectly healthy from top to bottom. But... If you don't know his nature, you won't think that way. 
think that way. Some of you have been having families that have sickness or disease. He's good. I don't, under, I don't have all the answers, but I do know that he's good. Listen, you could misrepresent his goodness. You could, you could pervert his goodness. You could deny his goodness. But one thing that you can never do is exaggerate his goodness. You can never exaggerate. You can never say, well, well, hold off a little bit. I mean, you're describing a little bit too good there, buddy. It'll take us all of eternity to describe the goodness of God. That's why just in one Greek word, there's about 20 definitions of his goodness. Because you and I can't define his goodness by a good job, by a good career. When things bad happen to you, learn, lean on his goodness. And I'm going to skip and I'm going to leave with you with one scripture to let you know. I want all of us to turn right now to, um, to Psalm 27. This is the last scripture that I'm going to share with you. And we're going to pray right there in your seats. Oh, hallelujah. How many feel the Lord? Because of time, I had so many more scriptures to you, but that's the, that's the trials of being in contract with a school. So make sure you guys are in prayer that we get a new location in Jesus' name. The Psalm 27. Oh, this is so powerful. Some of you guys need to hear this. The psalmist is talking about all these awesome things. And he's talking about all these worthy things about God. Hear me now, church. I'm closing with this. And he finally gets to verse 13. And he says something that's so, I love the realness of this. You know, there's some scripture in the Bible that makes you feel like you're this small because you're like, read scriptures like, and I went to the third heaven. You're like, man, I can never relate to that. And then I saw the face of Jesus. Like, I've never, I've never seen a vision of Jesus. All my life, I've never seen Jesus. Some people think they need to be spiritual by having all these visions. I've been used by God for many years. I've never once seen an angel. I don't need to. I don't need to. Paul, I mean, Philip said, you know, I, I, I want to I uh, see if you're real. I want to touch you. He goes, blessed are those who believe and do not see. So, so watch. He gets to this climax of his, of his life. And David says this in verse 13. I would have lost heart. Woo, I'm going to shout here. I would have lost heart unless... I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Look at what he says again. I would have been disheartened. You know, this is the 2016 version. I would have had lost my mind up in here. (laughs) I was going to act a fool up in here. Unless, come on now, unless, I, this is 2016, I would, have been, I would have lost my mind. I would have gone crazy. I was about to go gangster on you. I was about to beat someone up. I was about to go crazy unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord. That's what David's saying. He's, he's saying, I would have been disheartened. That, that's a nice fancy word. I'm about to lose my mind. I'm I'm serious. I'm about, to, I'm, a, I'm about to go crazy here. But wait, the goodness of God. Wait, wait, wait. The goodness of God is still here. And I believe. You know what the goodness of God does? The goodness of God wrecks havoc on hopelessness. The goodness of God wrecks havoc on depression. 
The goodness of God keeps you alive. The goodness of God keeps you smiling. The goodness of God keeps the joy of the Lord rising up upon you. And I know there's a family here that has some sickness with their kid. And I honor you. I want to tell you, I honor you and I see your post. There's some things, there's some sickness, and we're going to believe God for healing. And the faith that you have is contagious because you know that God is still good, even in the midst of your son. Oh, I feel the Holy Spirit. I want you to stand up right now. I'm telling you, no matter what is happening in your life, the goodness of God is going to wreak havoc on despair. The goodness of God is going to wreak havoc on your, on your, on your situations. Hear me, guys. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, trust in the goodness of God. He will not let you down. He will not let you fail. You may have to go through some things, but the goodness of God is going to bring healing in your life. Why? Because it's His nature. Sometimes God is waiting on us to lean on His goodness so that we won't be despaired. Why? Because if we didn't have hope for His goodness, we would all be in despair. So how many of you right now, I want you to close your eyes and lift up your hands to the Lord. And we're going to sing this one song. And I want this song to sweep through your heart. And I'm asking, I'm going to ask God in a couple of minutes, we're going to pray for those who need a fresh touch of the revelation of His goodness. To some of you, there, there may be a person here that this is your last chance. There may be a person here that this is your last opportunity. You came here today and you said, I need something because I'm suicidal. I am depressed. I need something. I hear I have the answer for you, sir. I have the answer for you, madam. It's called the love of God and the goodness of God towards you. He is good towards you and he desires to cleanse you. He desires to heal you. He desires to set you free because, listen, because of what he, who he is, is what he does. His essence produces his actions. That's why in the book of Acts, hear me church before we pray, the Bible says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth who went around what? Who went around what? Doing good. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. His goodness is displayed by healing all who were oppressed. You say, how is God good? I'll tell you, he wants to heal all oppression all depression. He's not good just because he gives you a car. He's not good because you have money in your bank account. He's good because he actually wants to heal you from depression and has the power to do so. Come on, lift up your hands and do right now. Come on. For the next five minutes, I want you to lift up your hands. Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.